Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. With this uh, Wednesday Vespers, we are out of Bright Week from last week. The doors have shut. We're in the week of St. Thomas, the believing apostle, disciple of our Lord. And we heard, again, restored to us, as it were, uh, the hymnody about the apostles. And throughout this time for us, this return uh, into the apostle season, into the Pentecostarian, which is the book in which we trade off the Triodion, the Lenten Triodion, where we have all of the, we say, the variable hymns for the Lenten services, and we switch to the Pentecostarian. You can hear the word of why we would call it the Pentecostarian, this is Pentecost. Uh, and this is what we will then basically be using for the rest of the year. But you hear and bring back the hymnody about the apostles uh, for every day in the Orthodox Church. I probably sound like a broken record on this one, but there's always, if you are keeping your daily prayers or mindful, you, if you're coming, if we're doing daily vespers and daily matins, you would see the rhythm. Uh, you hear it in the dismissal, or St. Nicholas the Wonder Worker uh, and the Apostles for Thursday. So, the hymnody for this evening will reflect what uh, our daily kind of cycle of commemorations is. And it is absolutely uh, essential to the life of the Orthodox Church, uh, for without the Apostles, we uh, have nothing. For it is through Christ, as we heard read in the Gospel on Sunday, the pericope about the belief, the disciples coming, uh, being confused, hiding uh, behind closed doors. Our Lord appears to them. He breathes upon them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sins they can forgive and sins that they can keep. But then there's also then Thomas. But in this breathing of the Holy Spirit, as we read in the Gospel of John, uh, is the reception of the completion of why our Lord called together a band of brothers, as it were, a group of disciples, uh, specifically the twelve, the apostles, uh, in some sense to, as you can probably imagine why it would be twelve, because this is to mirror uh, Israel, that he is gathering together the beginning of a new Israel for his uh, new exodus, Pascha, uh, and then the creation of these uh, apostles as the beginning, kind of like Mount Sinai, where you have the wind, the Holy Spirit coming, and then creating a new people after their Passover, the Lord's Passover, that they are then inducted and brought into a particular covenant relationship uh, with God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. We as I said in the sermon uh, on Sunday, we all have to have our, our kind of twin experience, as Thomas was called, right? Our personal uh, experience of the resurrected Lord. We are not uh, reliant upon others' faith that they can uh, confess for us. Uh, what we as full-grown adult Christians can uh, confess in our own faith as Thomas, my Lord and my God. And the reason why we're able to confess this faith, why uh, we are able to then uh, 
cry out, my Lord and my God, uh, about is because we've heard the apostolic message. That he revealed himself to particular people in his resurrection, as we uh, see it in 1 Corinthians 15 and throughout uh, the end of the Gospels, and especially we hear about this in Paul's epistles, uh, that we are grafted in, just like in Acts 2 and throughout, as we're reading right now in the book of Acts, the early apostolic preaching and teaching that spreads throughout the world. The tradition around St. Thomas, since we're in St. Thomas, is that he was the one to go to India and to spread the gospel in India. So there is the personal aspect of our faith, but then there's the ecclesial aspect of our faith, that we are shaped, that we are formed uh, by God's people. It's not something that we just pursue on our own. There is an aspect, of course, of our own personal pursuit of our Lord, but it's always a communal component not just as a kind of a gathering of fellowship where we individually encourage each other, but there is, as we see in the book of Acts, there's already structure. Just like they have the 12 apostles, then we have the 70 disciples, then we have others who have different roles that they're playing in our Lord's ministry. So in the church, everyone has an aspect and part of that ministry. We see this even with the apostle Paul, who we might think is, in some ways, the great uh, renegade or the great uh, one, especially, I would say, kind of Protestant Christianity, Paul is exalted, which the church also exalts St. Paul. But you notice in the book of Acts, after he has had his Damascus Road experience, that was not enough. He had to be baptized by someone sent by God. He then takes time, if you try to collate Galatians and Acts together, he spends some time off by himself. But what happens in the book of Acts is that he needs to come and be confirmed by the church in Jerusalem by a group of elders, by James, the brother of our Lord, that he is bona fide, as it were, that he is preaching the truth of the gospel, and that he basically has apostolic seal from the early church. There is this ecclesial dimension to our faith because, let's face it, when we're on our own, we, uh, you hear about the blind leading the blind. Well, to lead yourself is to guarantee blindness and ending up in the ditch because, as we would read, finish reading Proverbs, we need those who are wise, those who have been set before us to be able to teach to correct, to possibly rebuke. The bishops of the church, uh, in following after uh, apostolic succession, have specific responsibility of teaching the faith, guarding the deposit of truth that has been given to them, and therefore, if there are things that are out of bounds, that there is a word issued, and if there is not a correction, this is where we start talking about heresy, where we will even have hymnody in a few Sundays, we'll have, on the Sundays of the, four, of the Fathers of the Ecumenical Councils, we will talk about them specifically, because we know uh, and can see how heresy, a deviation from apostolic teaching, which we already see in the New Testament, Acts, Corinthians, Galatians, there's trouble from the very beginning, uh, that there needs to be confirmation from the broader church about teaching. This doesn't necessitate this, and this is, can kind of always get to this point when we're talking about, okay, so it sounds like 
we get into this kind of um, church bureaucracy or something, right? Like there is some uh, element uh, that is something kind of sterile structure outside of it. And this is kind of a perennial temptation to want to look at that structure and just say, no, I'm kind of going to go my own way and do my own thing. But this is not the path that we see of St. Paul. This is not the path of the early church. This doesn't mean a turning down of further fervor of faith. It doesn't mean the loss of the ability to maybe even speak prophetically. I mean, we canonized fools for Christ, and they did all sorts of things, not just to uh, emperors or czars, but to uh, bishops, to priests. There are times where there's rebuke that comes from the body of Christ towards someone in that place of authority. And either they listen or they don't. So this is the life of the church, like Israel uh, of old, that we have this living faith that is guarded, protected, uh, but its roots, its foundation, its basic uh, understanding is always, as the fathers have taught, uh, it has to be rooted in the apostolic faith. So let us this week, and as we continue to celebrate the resurrection, uh, remember, especially uh, as we're reading the book of Acts, as the lectionary has for us, remembering our great duty and responsibility that we stand, as it were, on the shoulders of giants, and that we are able to proclaim, like the end of the epistle reading from this past Sunday, boldly in the temple or in the public places, when we need to, what the faith of the church is. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen.